So, and then I'd like to introduce Amy. Amy Catterson is going to be uh, teaching us this morning, and I know you're going to be delighted to hear from Amy. Amy's been a part of our Bible study committee here at the North Campus. We just so appreciate her wisdom and her, her insights that she has as a, as a young mom, and we're just delighted that she is here with us. She has served in many different roles here at Bethlehem as an administrative assistant to many different pastors, and she's been, she's on all three campuses. She met Ben at the South Campus when she was a, an assistant there, and Ben was doing setup. So all three of them have actually served in all three of Bethlehem's campuses, but we're so delighted that God brought them to the North Campus. And I think many of you know that Ben serves with leading our middle schoolers uh, here at the North Campus, and they just returned from an amazing week of camp. I have heard nothing but wonderful things about the ministry that happened amongst our middle school kids this week. Amy is busy at home with five children, four boys, and a newborn Jemima who is sleeping over there with Beth. So if you get a chance, you might want to take a little peek at Jemima. She is a beauty. And Amy loves to write. She has a degree in English literature, I believe, right, Amy? And she also has a blog, and she shares some wonderful insights. So, Amy, would you come? I would like to pray for you before you start. Oh, Father, I thank you so much for this dear, dear sister in Christ. Lord, I, I thank you that you have known her and been, been working in her and have provided everything that she has needed for this moment, this morning. Lord, you have provided insights. You have provided time for her to prepare. And Lord, I just pray that you would just be uh, working in her in a mighty way, that your spirit would speak through her, and that we would learn some amazing things, things this morning about, about you, our great deliverer. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Today I want to think about the times when we really blow it. When we have failed, not for the first time, mm -hmm. and we will only wake up to the problem when we are neck deep in the hard consequences for our actions. What do we do? And what can we expect from God? And then, what do we do? So we're going to observe some of these realities in Judges chapters 4 and 5. To begin, let's find our place in the timeline of God's redemptive story. God gave a promise to a man named Abraham, a promise of a home and descendants and blessing for all nations. And even though Abraham was old and had no children, he believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. And that promise and blessing passed from Abraham to his son Isaac, to his son Jacob, and to his 12 sons. During a time of famine, Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. And in time, their descendants were enslaved there by jealous pharaohs. But God heard the cries of his people, per our Bible study theme this season. And he raised up Moses, who led the Israelites out of Egypt with great plagues and wonders. 
When Pharaoh pursued, God destroyed him and his whole army. And then he led the Israelites into the wilderness where they received God's wise instructions in the law, God's ongoing provision of food and water, and God's faithful, ever-present guidance through the pillar of fire and pillar of smoke. And that amazing story we find in the book of Exodus, and it's a little teaser because I hope you'll come and join us beginning this fall in Women's Bible Study as we dig into the book of Exodus. But when God brought his people to the promised land, they were ruled by fear of their enemies instead of faith in God. And as a result, they were sent to wander in the wilderness for another 40 years. Mercifully, God brought them back. And with Joshua as their leader, they entered the land God promised them. The book of the Bible that precedes Judges is Joshua. And Joshua recounts the story of Israel entering the land, defeating their enemies, and portioning out each tribe's inheritance. This sets the stage for the story we will look at today. Let me read you Joshua's last commands to the people of Israel just before he dies from Joshua 23. You shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remainder of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. So the book of Judges opens with this promise and warning ringing in our ears. And reading through Judges chapters 1 and 2, we can see that Israel moves forward in victory, but not complete destruction of their enemies. The theme of Judges 1 goes, And they took possession of this land, but they did not drive out all of the inhabitants. Over and over again, we see incomplete conquest. What is the result of this partial obedience? And just as a reminder, partial obedience equals disobedience. Listen to a summary of the cycle of the judges from Judges 2. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. 
so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. This sets the stage for our story today. Already in the book of Judges, we have seen several cycles of rebellion, oppression, pleas for mercy, and deliverance. So let's look now at our story, taken in four scenes from Judges 4 and 5. Scene 1, Rebellion and Oppression, Judges 4, 1 through 3. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Do you hear how this trouble started? The people of Israel did evil. They turned away from God, and that landed them in the middle of this mess. We also learn the enemy of God's people, Jabin, king of Canaan, and more prominent in our story, the commander of his army named Sisera. The Canaanites had superior military technology with 900 chariots of iron, perhaps comparable to the possession of tanks today. The Israelites were thoroughly outgunned against this foe. And after 20 years under the dominance of this enemy, at last, the people were desperate enough to plead for the Lord's help. So in answer to our first introductory question, when we are in trouble because of our own sin, what should we do? Answer, cry out to the Lord for help. And this brief little phrase is a teaser for joining us in Bible study at our next meeting. July 13th and 14th, when Lindsay Osborne is going to explode that idea out into a beautiful, gospel-rich picture of our process of repentance and God's rich restoration. Scene 2, the call to deliver. Judges 4, 4 through 10. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came to her for judgment. She sent 
and summoned Barak the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels. And Deborah went up with him. So who is the judge? Deborah, a prophetess who helped counsel the people. Who is commissioned as Israel's military leader? Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali. And what is his response? Hesitation. When Deborah calls Barak to lead in this fight, he does not rise up in courage and faith in God's deliverance. Let's recognize here that this overdeveloped sense of personal inadequacy as a response to God's call, that is not the fruit of prudence or reason. It is an expression of unbelief in God. In mercy, God mobilizes Barak anyway, with Deborah accompanying him. But the joy of being an instrument of rescue is going to be given to an unlikely deliverer, a woman. Scene three, the clash and conquest. Judges 4, 12 through 24. Now we come to the actual contest of war. As I read this, consider our second question. What kind of response should we expect from God in the face of our failure and our calling out to him? We'll pick up at Judges 4, verse 12. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Hirasheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Hirasheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. 
But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera, dead, with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So what kind of response did God give his troubled people when they were mired in the consequences of their rebellion? He granted them full dramatic deliverance. Over and over, the Bible gives us this pattern so that we will catch a very important message. God does not save us because we have made ourselves worthy of saving. He saves us because he has decided to put his unfailing covenant love on us to display his awesome glory. When we call out to God, we don't get what we deserve. We get mercy and help. To give this idea New Testament words, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we have need, we are invited to bring it to God, who provides undeserved, unmerited grace. This battle story starts with the big picture defeat of Sisera's army. And it really does not sound like the two sides were grappling back and forth for the victory. Nope. It's called a rout in verse 15. And to flesh that out a little, let me give you a definition of rout. A disorderly retreat of defeated troops. And according to verse 15, how are they routed? God routes the army. They flee in defeat. And Barak mops up the operation, so to speak. 
The story then zooms in on a scene for the final blow, the conquest of Sisera, by a most unlikely force. Sisera has abandoned his army and his own chariot, and now he is fleeing like a desperate fugitive. Here, we are introduced to the second significant woman in this story, Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' father-in-law. Consider some contrasts between the two human deliverers here. Barak, of course, is a man, one who might be expected to take up the sword. Jael is a woman. Barak is compelled by a divine commission and by Deborah's urging to take up this fight with the Canaanites. Jael acts apparently of her own volition. Barak is an Israelite, one of the people oppressed by the Canaanite enemies. But Jael is the wife of Heber the Kenite, and verse 17 tells us that there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. In other words, this wasn't her problem. Have you heard the expression, not my circus, not my monkey? It's the idea that there might be a problem, but it's somebody else's, and I'm not willing to get involved. The author here sets us up to expect that response. And in fact, Sisera himself is confident that he has security in the tent of an ally. We are given exquisite detail about the interaction between Jael and Sisera. Jael is soothing and comforting. She invites Sisera in, makes him cozy with a rug and milk, and he falls fast asleep. Then, as though we are watching the scene of a movie unfold, we see the true intention of Jael's heart. She is deliberate, purposeful, decisive. Without any external compulsion, she takes a hammer and nail and ends Sisera's life by crushing his head. Well, what are we to think of this? The text here does not give much commentary about why Jael kills Sisera or what God thinks about that action. But we will get some hints in the next section in Deborah and Barak's song. So let's listen for that as we go on. Scene four, the tribute to God, a song and prayer, Judges chapter five. Judges chapter five is the answer to our third question. What should we do in response to God when he intervenes? When we have found ourselves in deep trouble by our own sin, when we cry out to God and he answers with powerful delivering mercy, what should we do? We give expression to the praise and thankfulness that wells up in our hearts. And here, Deborah and Barak pour out their hearts in a poetic song of praise. As I read this chapter, this prayer, 
Listen for two things. First, what are the two groups of people addressed here? What makes the difference between those who are praised and those who are chastised or rebuked? And second, who is the great deliverer? And what means does he use to rescue his people? Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day, that the leaders took the lead in Israel, that the people offered themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. To the Lord I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, and you who walk by the way, to the sound of musicians at the watering places. There they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villagers in Israel. Then, down to the gates marched the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim, their root, they marched down into the valley, following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen. From Machir marched down the commanders, and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar faithful to Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the clans of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit still among the sheepfolds to hear the whistling for the flocks? Among the clouds of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. And Dan, why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risked their lives to the death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan at Tainich by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. 
From heaven the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. March on, my soul, with might. Then loud beat the horse's hooves with the galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse, Mera, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women, be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent out her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet, he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet, he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Out of the window she peered. The mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariot? Her wisest princesses answer. Indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man. Spoil of dyed materials for Sisera. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord. But your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. The response of Deborah and Barak after God's astounding full deliverance is praise. And how fitting, how important it is for us to notice, to bear witness to, and to remember when God answers our prayers. Let's follow this example to testify to the goodness of God. Let me briefly summarize the elements in this response song of praise. It starts with praise for God's personal work of deliverance, stirring the people to take up this fight, marching into battle, and even employing the forces of nature to defeat the enemy. It describes the deep trouble Israel was in because they had forsaken God and chosen new gods. Then it lists various tribes of Israel, praising God for those who courageously came to join in the fight and chastising those who stayed securely at a distance in self-protection. Do you see that there are essentially two groups of people here? Those who take up the fight against the enemies of the Lord and those who shrink back 
and fail to do so. What makes the difference between these groups? I believe it is faith that looks to the Lord and steps out in courage, contrasted with the hesitation that comes from looking to ourselves. Then the song blesses the courageous action of Jael, who struck the decisive blow against God's enemy. She is one of those who hates the enemy of God's people, and so she is called a friend of God. As verse 31 summarizes, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. And finally, the song paints an ironic picture of the enemy's own household, fantasizing a tremendous victory, but oblivious to the utter defeat and ruin that the Canaanite army actually experienced. So perhaps the biggest question now is, how does all this relate to us? What is our practical application of this very vivid story? To be honest, this victory is a marvelous picture of God's deliverance, but it is a rescue with a little r. If you continue reading through the book of Judges, you quickly notice that the people of Israel are still in trouble. And in fact, they are in a downward spiral of rebellion and oppression because their hearts are still dissatisfied and wandering. And there we can find a connection to our own state. What about our enemy? Just as the Israelites' trouble began with their own wandering and disobedient hearts, we have sin-sick hearts that are unable, but also often unwilling to fully cut off the world and the devil and our own weak flesh. Like them, we find ourselves in trouble of our own making. As Isaiah lamented in Isaiah 64.4, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We are in desperate trouble. But consider the unexpected deliverer who has crushed the head of our enemy, when Christ entered the world as Emmanuel, God with us, he took up a problem that was not his own. In addition, he saved us in an utterly unexpected way. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him 
was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Deborah urged Barak to lead in faith because God had called him. Jael showed incredible zeal and courage in fighting against the enemies of God's people. But these are just shadowy reflections of Christ himself, the great serpent crusher, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 2. Jesus walked in flawless, courageous zeal to fulfill the Father's will in every instant of his life. He never failed to follow through on God's commands, nor succumbed to making peace and tolerating fellowship with the enemy. He never abdicated leadership or faltered in fear like Barak. He did not shy away from the fight or act in self-protection like certain of the tribes of Israel. Instead, he stepped directly into the blow of God's wrath to deliver us from the curse of sin. With a nail, he delivered all of God's people fully and completely. But that nail that pierced our enemy was not driven through a temple into the ground, but rather into the hands and feet of our Savior himself. And this is no partial deliverance. Rather, by his death, he broke the chains of sin, removed our dead hearts, and gave us new hearts to love, worship, and follow God, and liberated us to walk in the power of his Holy Spirit and to be incrementally shaped to reflect his beautiful heart. Do we have reason to praise? Yes, yes we do. Oh Father, you see that we are in a trouble of our own making. Our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We do not hate evil the way we should, and too often we get cozy with it and invite it in. And yet you have not withheld deliverance because we are unworthy. You hear us, but even before we called to you, you sent a deliverer to crush the head of the serpent through offering up his own body to be broken in our place. So, Father, we praise you and thank you. We ask that our hearts would overflow with the testimony of your good deliverance through the gift of your Son. Receive our praise even now, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.